0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staten of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, uh, it's estimated that about $590 billion left China last year, which is almost three times the annual average in in earlier years. So an enormous amount of cash is going out and flooding out of China for lots of different reasons. But a lot of that money is going to to buy real estate around the world. From Sydney to London to Paris to the San Gabriel Valley in Southern California, Chinese real estate investors are buying huge amounts of property as a hedge against the perceived weakness in the Chinese economy. Although Africa is not the first destination of choice for most Chinese, interest in the continent's real estate sector is growing very, very fast. Now, listen to this. From 2010 until today, China's invested almost $17 billion in sub-Saharan African real estate. Uh, we are thrilled to be joined today by the author of a new report on China's increased presence in the African real estate market, Uh, Dr. Honita Kualasur published uh, a new report by the Center uh, for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town, where she is also a scholar there. And uh, Dr. Kowalasur joins us all the way from Mauritius. A very good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon, Carlos. Good afternoon, Eric. And hello to everybody. Um, actually, yes, it is afternoon here as well, so that is kind of reassuring. Um, which mm. me? Wonderful. <laughs> right the spot. Yeah. So um, yes, it is. Recently, we've been working on this particular project, which was of uh, well great pertinence to what is happening. As you mentioned, you gave uh, an overview of uh, what is going on right now in the real estate sector. Um, And this was actually, it's all the, you know, media hype about it, which uh, brought me to eventually start a study of uh, this particular uh, phenomenon, uh, which is happening in Africa. Well, it's, it's the new trend.
0: Sure. Well, let's let's talk about this media hype very quickly, because, you know, particularly in Africa, it sets off a lot of alarm bells when we talk about foreigners buying land, obviously in the context of, of, the, of the history, the recent history, in fact. And there's been a lot of hysteria about the Chinese buying up vast tracts of agricultural land, which Professor Deborah Braudigam spent an entire book debunking. So I think a good starting point for our conversation today is to put the Chinese in context of other foreign buyers. And the $17 billion that you quoted in your report sounds like a lot of money, but how does that compare to the Americans, the French, the Germans, and everybody else?
1: Right. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, with um, in relation to um, the investment coming in from uh, U.S. and uh, the European countries, it kind of—it's rather dispersed, the sources of um of investment in real estate coming from that side of the world is rather divided, so it doesn't seem as much, though it might be. But the fact that it comes, China is seen as one single body, which is, which, uh, I mean, across the world, we have the tendency to see, you know, China is one big chunk, one big person almost, and uh, so it, it. I think that was the basis of the hype. Uh, we tend to dissociate. Uh, uh, obviously, the, the uh, uh, what you call uh, obviously the colonial history, and obviously this is not a new process. Uh, it it has been ongoing for a while uh, on well from the West, uh, but China is a new player, which is why its sudden advent on the scene. And the fact that is, it is one single actor and not a multiplicity of actors who have had a history of, you know, of presence uh, on land uh, in Africa, which makes the difference.
2: Honita, um, when we talk about Chinese real estate investment overseas, I always tend to think of London, New York, Paris, south of Mm -hmm. France and so on. What makes Africa and, you know, particularly the markets that you looked at, South Africa and Mauritius, what makes those countries um, attractive for these investors?
1: Right. You know, the recent trends that we've been studying is, I, I, I mean, you're right to say that Usually we think about the U.S., uh, U.K., uh, Australia as well, and uh, but uh, recently um, there is, has been. I was speaking to um, to a professor uh, in uh, at Renmin University, and we were discussing this new trend of you know the Chinese middle class communities who have. Um, the means obviously they have they are now economically empowered and ambitious and at the same time alienated somehow uh, by the um, either environmental situation or the you know the social opportunities available in the country so with that. um, with that economic empowerment that they have and, you know, the the kind of advent, sense of adventure that has uh, come into the, the country uh, with the opportunities to travel abroad and to discover new cultures, to experience new things. Uh, Johannesburg, well, Johannesburg was mentioned by um, a report uh, by, uh, let me remember that, oh, Knight Frank, actually, um, as being one of the coming up destinations for Chinese real estate investment in Africa. But um, I mean, I am from Mauritius and I can say the same thing about uh, my country here. And uh, um, this is, I would say it is mostly uh, a destination for the segment of the Chinese middle class population.
0: I guess it's a little bit of a surprise for me, because a lot of the reason that Chinese buyers prefer, say, markets in Australia, the United States, Canada, even Europe, is because they want to invest in places where their children can go to school, where obviously the, the quality of life is very high. And so, you know, Johannesburg is problematic in a couple of different ways. The crime is extremely high. Uh, it is a place that doesn't have a very... Uh, it, has a, it has a strong Chinese community there, but nowhere near as big as, say, Sydney or Los Angeles, or New York, or San Francisco. And I guess it just surprised me a little bit, because that a lot of the key factors driving the real estate acquisitions in the West um, don't seem to be apparent immediately in places like Johannesburg and Mauritius. What are the reasons that you found that people are buying? And and if you can get as specific as possible.
1: Right. Okay. Actually, uh, if I might say, in the case of Mauritius, you you might be surprised, actually, that we do have uh, uh, options for in terms of schooling if you're talking about schooling we do have options uh, for uh, you know the standard of education that you get in the UK and the West which you we would think would be the parameters for um, the Chinese investors to you know to pick for uh, these countries uh, they, they have here a few branches of uh, um, of schools uh, which are of very high standard for example there is a uh, um lycée La bouurdonnais which is a French medium there's Hampton school there's um, they have uh, something called okay I tend to forget the name sorry le uh, bocage so these are these are uh, schools which have you know created a certain image and they cater specifically for uh, the children of uh, um, sojourners and you know travelers foreigners uh, in the country um and in the sense uh We also have, I mean, the standard of living in the country has definitely, is definitely comparable to, uh, you know, I wouldn't say certainly the West, um, but it is quite a market. Um, You get all the big brands, you get, uh, you know, uh, you don't get shabby little homes. You get uh, quite, um, quite high end uh, uh, apartments available. And actually, it, be, it is interesting to note that most of these high-end luxury apartments that are being constructed and, and or eventually bought by Chinese customers here in Mauritius are actually developed by Chinese uh, construction companies themselves. So they know where the market is. Um, and in the sense, uh, I mean, coming to the case of South Africa, the argument for that particular one which we have noted is uh, the choice uh, of South Africa as a destination for uh, buyers, for Chinese buyers, is because it is a relatively safer place on the continent. So, for example, you have so many companies, Chinese companies, developing uh, set or setting up uh, now in, uh, for, say, for example, you know, Angola and uh, sudan for oil I, I mean all of these places but they see south africa as you know the haven where they can settle their family and from there they move so that so, is that accessibility sorry, sorry to
2: interrupt you yeah. um you know kind of one, one of the one of the things that i was very surprised at in your report was you know kind of we tend to think again we tend to think of these investors as being super rich people frequently connected to the Chinese government, so the kind of bolshevik you know kind of idea of of, of the new mega-rich Chinese investor in foreign property and the people who buy lofts worth tens of millions of dollars in New York, for example. But you made the point that a lot of these investors are actually middle class people. Yep. Um, so I wonder if you could if you could unpack that a little bit
1: right so what i meant you know because when we started the study um uh we tried to find out if Actually, i mean the number of people coming in buying properties in in south africa and uh, uh, in Mauritius, trying to get a profile of them obviously um south africa doesn't have a kind of database neither does mauritius actually so both of these countries you they don't have a database of you know who are these people exactly what are the professional profiles um you know, uh, of these people from China buying property in these two particular countries. Uh, but then we went back to the source. Um, we tried uh, talking to, we, we talked to um, the South African embassy in uh, Beijing and uh, the immersion embassy in Beijing as well to find out who are the people who actually make applications for permanent residents and or temporary residents, long-term temporary residents. Uh, permits to these two countries. So eventually, what came out of the discussion and the study was that what is happening is you have uh, the segment of the Chinese middle-class population who, now, as I said, empowered professionally, economically, they tend to move uh, for you know career reason. They are taking up a job in. Uh, south africa somewhere in a company uh, in the chinese company who is setting up there for example uh, so they, they they tend to move there uh, on a temporary visa and what happens is eventually or uh, they might start liking the place or they decide to you know to extend uh their stay there or take a second home in that country so then they start applying for permanent residence visas and acquire a house there which is one of the criteria to require to get a permanent visa in both of the countries.
0: I think it's an indication of just how insecure that middle class is in China, both from an economic point of view, but also the quality of life in China being, uh, you know, deteriorating quite rapidly in terms of air quality, food safety, corruption. Uh, and it's just really the, uh, a growing number of Chinese are voting with either their money or their feet uh, to, to get out. And that's been one of the very disconcerting trends of the past year, is just how much money is going out. One of the issues in California where I'm I'm from is the growth of Chinese buying up, you know, lots and lots of real estate and just leaving it empty. So you'll yes. have these neighborhoods which have no life in them. I mean the properties are all been sold, but there's nobody there. And this is particularly acute in Southern California. And I'm wondering the buyers that you're talking about, these middle class buyers in places like South Africa and Mauritius, are they actually buying to live? Are they buying them as investments? Are they buying to rent? What are they doing with the properties that they're purchasing?
1: You know that is one of the things that I have been trying to find out as well because in, um, I mean, the, all over Africa there's been cases where you have these ghost cities of uh, where um, Chinese invest property investors have developed these magnificent buildings, but they are now empty. Um, uh, I can remember the case of Angola where they have uh, uh, this this magnanimous uh, ghost city. Um, but that, is, uh, that particular one is uh, mainly due to a kind of a government administration problem. They didn't have, the property developers didn't have the papers, and uh, that was, well, they were wanting to develop that as a social housing project, but eventually they didn't have the papers, and so they couldn't sell it to anybody as, I mean...
0: And that was housing built for Africans and Angolans, not for the yeah. Chinese?
1: No, no, certainly not. Um, but uh, um, sorry, I, I kind of diverted from the question again. Yeah,
0: what are uh, they, where are the, you know, you know, are, are, they, are they living in them or are they using them as kind of ghost investment properties? Um,
1: well, in South Africa, one of the concerns has been um, that they are buying these places as uh, luxury, uh, these luxury places as, uh, you know, a kind of holiday home. But then there's this latest uh, group of people, the recent buyers from 2012, approximately. The, um, the Chinese real estate buyers are buying increasingly, you know, small apartments, high-end still, but, you know, small apartments, not big uh, uh, bungalows and villas or whatever. Um, and they actually live there. So you have two categories of people you have those buying for leisure and as a second home option holiday place and you have the other segment which actually is buying is investing into smaller places apartments uh, where they live most of the time in the case of mauritius um it's actually is approximately similar they use it also as uh, When they're traveling, if you have, uh, uh, you know, traveling Chinese business person who are who have, uh, you know, uh, jobs in Africa somewhere on the continent, they use that as a place, you know, instead of frequently booking into hotels and stuff like that, they just take that as a second home
2: um so recently the south african government has made you know kind of noises that they plan to restrict foreign um ownership of south african land right. um that is this is uh, you know kind of it hasn't been formalized as as a set of laws yet but it, it was it was mentioned at the, during the recent state of the nation address which took place a few weeks ago in south africa so i was wondering how that the, those kinds of moves from governments how how would those impact prospective buyers, but particularly people who have already bought and already are are owning property in in South Africa?
1: That particular case, you know, uh, after a while, after that uh, proposition was put forward, the president came out and, you know, precise that it's going to be agricultural land, which is going to be um, monitored uh, regarding foreign ownership, not necessarily property uh, buyers so um, that kind of counsel out to the group of people that we are talking about because we are oh, I mean um, I think the concern more in South Africa has been about uh, you know owning land which has kind of a return capacity. In a large scale, and uh, that also is in context of uh, the recent land reform uh, debates, which have been ongoing in South Africa. But uh, uh, in in the context of um, the real estate Chinese buyers who are actually buying uh, more, you know, little houses, apartments, a bungalow, a villa, that is not regulated, and that is not. Uh, as far as I'm aware is not one of the uh, policy concerns for the time being.
0: The report is the Chinese presence in real estate in South Africa and Mauritius, uh, although it focuses on those two countries, it certainly extends beyond that to a very fascinating trend about Chinese real estate buying in sub-Saharan Africa, part of a much bigger, very important global trend in the outflow of Chinese money from the mainland uh, into property all over the world. Uh, it's a very contentious issue, not just in Africa, but also in the United States and Australia, even here in Southeast Asia, where you know vast n- pools of money are coming in, distorting some of the markets, forcing prices up, and also populations coming with them. So this is a, a very interesting and timely topic to follow. Honita, uh, thank you so much for for joining us today. We really appreciate it. If people want to follow what your research and what you're doing, do you, are you on social media anywhere that, that people can follow along?
1: Uh, sadly, I'm quite a sad person.
0: <laughs> Another academic that doesn't like social media, Kobus. This is really, no- what a surprise. <laughs> well, listen, we will help you out here because if uh, if anybody who signed up to our email newsletter, they got a copy of this report uh, a couple weeks ago. So we have it and we've posted it up on Facebook and it's in our email newsletter. But the easiest place to go get it is at the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch, their website, which is uh, all the dots and W's, CCS.com. And there it is on the homepage, you can look for Honita and her her work there. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: And Kobus, you are the rare academic that is actually engaged in social media. Tell us where people can find
2: you. (laughs) You can find me on our Facebook page that's facebook.com slash China Africa Project and there we curate this every four hours constant feed of new China Africa news items. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesk that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E.
0: And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R and uh, more importantly you can find me commenting on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project and of course if you want to subscribe to this podcast, the easiest way to do it is go to iTunes.com slash China Africa podcast. iTunes.com slash China Africa podcast. It'll come right up there in iTunes and just hit that subscribe button. And we would be so grateful if you could leave a rating or a review, good, bad, or ugly. We don't really care, but it does help other people find the show. So we'd really appreciate that. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.